Coming down in three, two, and... Welcome once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast. This podcast will actually be spread out in two parts. We're going to do our season preview. Today's podcast will focus on the Eastern Conference and tomorrow's podcast, Elliot, will focus on the West. Uh, But before we get to any of that, we'll share with you some news and the very latest as to what's happening around the NHL and for the purposes of this podcast, uh, what's happening around hockey and what's happening around Hockey Canada specifically. So later on this week, there'll be a Hockey Canada board meeting. So obviously this is a important and potentially newsworthy week for Hockey Canada. And this will be uh, a moment for the 13 members that do things amongst others, you know, decide who's on the board. And we'll get to Andrea Skinner here in a couple of moments. This will be a chance for the 13 members to have their voices heard. And so that'll be, you know, British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, Manitoba, Hockey North, which is Northwest Territories in Yukon, uh, the Atlantic provinces, Quebec, Ontario, which has three members, uh, Hockey North, Hockey East, and the OHF. Uh, so this will be a chance um, for them to to have their say about what's happening right now with Hockey Canada. All of this now, Elliot, after the news of the weekend, which was that Andrea Skinner has resigned as interim chairman of the board for Hockey Canada. Do you have an initial thought on all of this? My initial reaction is what we said on Friday is that almost everything that happened last week was self-inflicted. And a lot of people were willing to see what changes Hockey Canada was willing to make. Mm -hmm. And then their appearance last week before the committee was so bad that nobody could wait any longer. So I'm really curious to see if these members are going to be able to wait until the end of October or they feel Mm. that they have to do something right now. For example, somebody was telling me that one team west of Toronto, like they were feeling the pinch in terms of, you know, whatever help they were supposed to get. It was behind or it was late. You know, they wouldn't exactly tell me what it was, but all they were trying to say was the trickle down has begun. So everybody's feeling this and everybody's sitting there saying, okay, whatever schedule that you were on, Mm -hmm. we're not sure we're going to be able to keep to that. I'm glad you mentioned end of October. We expect the Cromwell report to come out around that time. And coming out of that report, there will be certain recommendations now. Those don't go into effect automatically. Um, Members would have to approve uh, and act on any of these recommendations like you, like I know that they're under a lot of pressure to do something now. I wonder though if what they want to do is wait until the Cromwell report is released, digest any of the recommendations, and then move accordingly. I know this is moving at a pace that a lot of people don't like and they want it to happen faster, but that's the one thing that I wonder about in advance of you know the uh, the AGM, which is coming up December seventeenth. Yeah, you know, I wonder if they're waiting for the Cromwell report to come out first and then start to act. Now, there are some decisions that they have to make, like Andrea Skinner needs to be replaced. I don't know if there's anyone on this board now that wants to go into that space. 
that has any desire to be the person that goes in to replace Andrea Skinner. I don't know if that's true or if it's up to the 13 members to name a new a new chair. I don't know. Um, all I know is I think this might be a, a very newsworthy week for Hockey Canada, Elliot. If there's one other thing I'd like to say about this, I know there's a lot of people right now that aren't happy with Andrea Skinner. She alluded to something during her appearance about some of the feedback she was getting. And apparently some of it is far, far, far over the line. I get that this is an emotional time. And I get that there's a lot of people who aren't happy with the things she said or the way she said them. But that is not a license to send her notes that are way, way, way beyond the pale. And if you're listening to this and you're doing that, you're not part of the solution. You're part of the problem. This goes for anyone that's involved too. And I'll focus in, as as you mentioned, uh, specifically with Andrea Skinner. You can be upset. You can be angry. I think we all are. I think most of us, the majority of us, are all on the same page here about understanding that change needs to happen and understand that change will happen. Please don't threaten anybody. These threats need to stop. I know this is a very distasteful situation. I know the emotions are raw for a lot of people. We all understand that. But threats don't make it any better for anybody in this situation. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Also, Elliot, the Tampa Bay Lightning have issued a statement um, about defenseman Ian Cole. Uh, quote, the Tampa Bay Lightning is aware of the allegations against player Ian Cole and are cooperating fully with the NHL on an investigation. Our organization takes these allegations very seriously. While we continue to gather more details, we have decided to suspend Ian Cole pending the results of an investigation. No members of the organization, including players, will comment further at this time. We will have more here and on other channels that Elliot and I are part of as this story continues to unfold. This is 10 Tampa Bay This Weekend. I'm Miranda Parnell, joined by sports anchor David Sheely. So, David, what sparked this investigation? Yeah, this all started by claims made on Twitter on Friday of sexual misconduct. As a result of those claims, defenseman Ian Cole is suspended indefinitely as the NHL investigates the matter. NHL reporter for Sportsnet Elliot Friedman tweeted a statement from Cole via his agent. Cole denied the allegations, saying he looks forward to clearing his name. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to uh, kick off some of the news portion here with the exciting world of waivers, Elliot, which are uh, usually pretty exciting at this time of year. And here we are. Anything catch you right away? Well, first of all, I want to talk about a couple. You had talked about Joey Decord a couple of days ago, and I was surprised he got through. Me too. Uh, unless all these teams have their combos and they just said, we had to put them on waivers too, and we don't want to do that. Or expose someone else to waivers. You know who I wondered about? Just as a quick aside here, mm-hmm. I wondered about two teams with Joey Decord. I wondered about the Buffalo Sabres, mm-hmm. and I wondered about the Philadelphia Flyers. 
So I think those are both really good points. Here's the thing about Buffalo. They've got the Comrie-Anderson duo, and then they've got a, a, a prospect they really count on in Rochester, right? Uka Pekalukinen, yes. So what message are you sending to Lukanen if you claim to court? I think you'd say, well, we have a 41-year-old starting netminder who's had health issues in the past, and this is just some insurance. I think if you really care about Lukanen, you have to say to him, we're not making that claim. If anything happens, you get your chance. Hmm. I'm just saying, like, if I'm Lucan and you claim to court, I'm like, what the hell? Like, what are you doing? Hmm. So I understand why Buffalo wouldn't do that. Now, I don't know if that was their decision-making process, but that's what I'm thinking. Philly's an interesting one, too. Hart's been hurt. He hasn't played yet. But they've had a couple of kids who've really played hard in the exhibition season. So I wonder if that has anything to do with it, but I understand I understand Buffalo's move more than Philly's, but the general idea is the same, the principle. If you have a prospect who's really played hard for you and showed up ready to go, they're going to be a little annoyed if you pick up another goalie. Okay, well, that, ma- that makes sense, Elliot. What else grabbed you out there? Other than Joey Decord clearing. Welcome to Coachella Valley. Jordan Martinook clearing a bit. I think teams really liked Martinook, uh, but the number and the term made it difficult. The other thing I'd heard is that Carolina had done a lot of research into, are we really comfortable doing this? This was not something that they just kind of threw out there. Nobody's ever confident 100%, but they had reason to believe that he was going to go through. And you have a thought on Nick Foligno, one year remaining on his deal. Uh, The AAV is 3.8, but the actual cash is 2.8. I'm surprised at that one too. Again, I I think it's really tough to see uh, that one getting claimed. You know, someone said to me, Philly, you know, maybe the Tortorella thing. There were so many Philly fans who tweeted at me saying they wanted Simmons to be traded to the Flyers. I'm just not sure Philadelphia has room for all of these guys. <laughs> well, let, let's get there then. I mean, the, the the Wayne Simmons news was a um, was a surprising one to some and 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 not to others. Uh, your thoughts on? I mean, the Maple Leafs, you know, waved a number of players: Gaudet, Mete, Clifford. Simmons is the headline maker, though. They had a lot of cap issues and injury issues, no question. Tavares uh, and Engvall for a time were really complicating their cap situation. They finally got uh, Aston Reese signed today at the price point that we thought it was going to be, which is just under eight fifty. But the thing is, you know, Nick Robertson, to his credit, he won a job, and Dennis Mulgan, to his credit, he won a job, and you know, you could see last year. After Simmons played his 1,000th game, it wasn't trending in a, in a great direction for him in Toronto. Now, I think he's healthy, and I've heard he very much wants to play. You know, I, I want to say something about this. I had a GM reach out to me today kind of pissed off that a name on that email list got out. Here's kind of what happened. Someone told me, look around on Simmons, and... It was kind of for a couple of days, and it was after I started looking into it, I think that the email got sent out. So as much as you know, the GMs get annoyed about leaks, yeah. this wasn't one of those cases. Anyway, like you could look through the Toronto 
roster and the way the camp was going and the games were going, and you could see where this was headed. I have heard he very much wants to play. I don't think he's interested in retiring. And, you know, we'll see where this goes. After I reported that, he was put on waivers. I do wonder if some teams might be more interested in him if he clears. I'm sure he's not thrilled about the idea of the American Hockey League. He's, Mm -hmm. I don't know if he wants to do that. But the one thing about Simmons is, and, and, and I really got this a lot, is he is deserving of a certain level of respect and people wanted to treat him with respect. And that's why I think mm-hmm. the Toronto note to the other teams was worded the way it was uh, because Simmons is a guy who's earned a certain way that he should be treated. And to be honest, I I did a lot of work on it because in terms of making sure I had the verbiage correct because he's earned a certain amount of respect. So We'll see if it goes. I hope it works out for him. But right now, it just doesn't look like the path is in Toronto. A couple of claims. One of them, Arizona Coyotes claiming defenseman Yuso Valamaki from the Calgary Flames, a former first-round draft pick that, for various reasons, was never able to gain solid footing with the big squad. I think we all kind of saw this coming. You know, First of all, Calgary is a lot of guys under contract. It's just a shame. I, I think Valimaki is a really talented guy. Just two really bad injuries, right? Yep. And um, Early in the career, like right away. Everything about the way this guy played when he first came up said to me, stud. Like, like really talented guy. And unfortunately, that's what happens. He got hurt. He fell behind guys. I'm sure it, it hurts your confidence. The other thing, too, is you know Calgary, they're in win mode, right? And unfortunately, when you're in win mode, you have to make decisions where players like Valimaki who fall behind, you can't always be patient. I think it's a great pickup by Arizona. I think that's exactly the kind of player they should be going after. And I hope in a new situation, he's able to get back on track. And, you know, the other thing too is, I'm sure all these teams looked at Calgary and said, we're not... We're not giving you anything. Everybody can look at a roster yeah. and see what the situation was. I'm sure that's exactly what happened. They looked at the roster. They said, we're not giving you anything. Yeah. And this is the way it came down. Speaking of Calgary, um, no surprise really, Daryl Sutter gets an extension from the Flames, uh, the reigning Jack Adams trophy winner. Uh, yeah, we talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, And it was coming and it got done. Sutter had one more year, and I don't have it nailed down, but I'd heard the possibility he might be extended by two more. So I'm not sure if they ripped up the contract and said, okay, here's your new deal for a term, or they just took this year and added a couple on the back end. But I I heard that was kind of the area that was uh, being discussed, nail it down at some point. But I'm not surprised. He he had a really good year as, as head coach. Sutter is not for everyone, but if you're trying to win, he's a guy you want. He knows how to win. And, you know, Brad Tree Living got a lot of credit for this summer, and he should have. But I think also Sutter is, you know, his attitude it was, was basically get me some players and we'll be fine. And that's one of the reasons he's as successful as he is. He's a no BS guy. If you have players who, who understand that if you play hard, he'll be happy, you can thrive. As we mentioned last podcast, two podcasts ago, I can't recall, 
the player who turns a PTO into a contract. And you mentioned Zach Aston Reese a couple of moments ago. Let's throw Jimmy VC into that mix as well, who signs a one-year deal with the New York Rangers. Your thoughts on Jimmy VC as a Ranger? You remember what the thoughts about him, where he started and, and where he is now. You know, it never works out for everybody. So sometimes you have to reinvent yourself. I know that when he played in Toronto that year, it didn't work out for him. But some of the players on the team said really good things about him. And there was a game this year where one of his teammates got hit and he went and defended them. Like we said, Jeff, we all thought his career was going to go one way. It didn't. And he's still battling to hang on. Like To me, that's a guy who loves hockey because he's doing whatever he can to stay in it. And he's reinvented himself to stay in it. That's the key, reinventing yourself. The guys that don't just stick to the one style of play. Like I think we've all seen the guys in the American Hockey League that are caught in that tweener spot. They're too talented for the American Hockey League, but playing that way, they just can't find a spot in the NHL. The American Hockey League's history is littered with these guys. And I always say the same thing. One, there's no shame in playing in the American Hockey League. Two, you have the ability to make a good living playing in the American Hockey League. But when you're that player, you have a choice. You can keep playing the way that you're playing and knowing that generally it's a super long shot to get to the NHL or you can change the way that you play. And I admire the guy that changes the way he plays Mm -hmm. in order to get in the NHL and stay in the NHL. You know, Chris Barch, for example, who was a good, skilled player when he played in the OHL, wasn't going to get to the NHL with those skills, worked his way through the minors in the NHL as a fighter, as someone that protected his teammates, and that was his ticket to getting to the NHL. Other guys that were high scorers, good, skilled players, turned themselves into two-way players, turned themselves into checkers, turned themselves into penalty killers. I always cite Andrew Cogliano when I'm talking about these types of players. It can be done, but part of it is the will. And to your point about you have to love hockey to go through what Jimmy Vc has gone through, you can tell this guy does love the game for what he's been able to turn himself into. And to the point about cheering for people, how do you not cheer for a guy that's been able to do that, Elliot? How do you not cheer for that guy? I'm with you on this. And, you know, we should mention that there was there was real-life hockey on the weekend. There was. Wasn't that weird? Yes. <laughs> Beautiful and bizarre. I have to tell you, it's still really strange to me sometimes. Like, I'm not ready. I was excited to see it. I really missed it. My juices got flowing when the puck dropped. But I have to say, I wasn't completely ready. There's something about the game starting. For example, Major League Baseball games that are played in Tokyo like a week before the the MLB season. Yeah, I love them, but I, I sometimes I have trouble getting into them. This time, I love them, but I still have some trouble getting fully into them. You know what it hits for me is when you have players that have changed teams. Like, I know in my head that Johnny Gaudreau is a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets, but it doesn't burn in until I watch him for the first time on TV. Or if you're a Blue Jackets fan, you go to Nationwide and you see him wearing the jersey on the ice in competition. That's what just finally burns at home because, you know, it's, you know, the middle of August and I think we've all had this experience. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot that so-and-so is now on Nashville. I forgot that so-and-so is now on the Jets or the Panthers or the Stars or wherever. That's why the first couple of weeks are always exciting because you get that, oh yeah, that's what it looks like moments. And I love it. 
that's part of the joy of the first couple of weeks of hockey. What'd you see? Anything stand out for you? You know who I'm really curious about, and we're going to get to him when we uh, when we start to cover the uh, the the, uh, the Western Conference on tomorrow's podcast. I'm going to be endlessly fascinated by the type of season that Timo Meyer turns in. Mm-hmm. First of all, I just love him as a player. Second of all, this is a very and this and we just saw you know Matthew Kachuk go through this. This is a really interesting situation that the San Jose Sharks have here. So part of me is you know I have an eye on you know the players and the play and. Uh, I'm really secretly cheering for the San Jose Sharks this year, knowing that everybody's written them off. And you have Eric Carlson, this longtime vet whose body's been through everything, just saying, well, I am what I am now. And like, don't expect much more. Like, I'm giving all I can. And I've already given a ton. Kind of cheer for those guys a little bit. So I have an extra eye on on the on the San Jose Sharks and and Eric Carlson. I'll tell you what, you know, I I like watching Roman Yossi play. So I know he was really enthused specifically to go to Switzerland to play in front of his his home crowd and have family and friends there. So uh, an eye on Roman Yossi. But like you, I was just happy to have it back. But to your original question, I'm a big fan of Timo Meyer. I like his game. I'm really curious to see what happens to this guy this season. So I'm I'm watching Sharks closely. I like to see a hurdle score. I, I thought that was great. If I was the NHL, I'd be looking at Nashville and saying, you guys push off the net a little bit too much. Let's <laughs> see how mad Couture was getting. Oh, yeah. That's the oldest trick in the book, man. That was very smart. Very smart. They did that a couple of times. I have to say, I thought Nashville obviously looked good. The big thing that happened to them was they got a victory when Saros wasn't playing. You're going to need those. You know, Lankinen played the one game, you need W's from your other goalie. Mm -hmm. That was a good sign for them. Now, I didn't get a chance to watch Saturday's game as much as I watched Friday's. So I didn't see Vlasic as much in game two, but I thought Vlasic stood out to me a bit in game one. He looked better, and that's big for the Sharks. Well... I, I shouldn't say I'm surprised because we've seen it before in his draft year. It was like, this guy's got the hardest shot in his in his class. If L.A. Tolvanen can fire the puck like that consistently all season, yes, then it's going to be good times. Because I think we're looking at, you know, Ryan Johansson had a really good year last year. Matt Shane had a really good year last year for Nashville. Philip Forsberg returns, and that's great news for Nashville. But you, aren't you always saying to yourself, if only they had one more guy or two more guys that can really finish? And I know it might have taken a little bit longer for Tolvanen to get there to arrive, mm-hmm. man, if he can fire the puck like that all season long, that's going to help the Nashville Predators a ton because that guy's shot is supreme. And we saw that, well, specifically Friday, but that guy's shot is that guy's shot is wicked. So that's one of those things that jumped out at me. One more thing before we wrap up. The last man standing. Here we are still talking about Nick Hague. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there a latest? We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. All right. So after that really nice introduction by Jeff, we should mention that we have a Monday insert because Nick Haig has signed and there were some waiver claims we want to discuss. With Nick Haig, it's a three-year deal the AAV is just under $2.3 million. And 
you know, I, I really wondered for a while now if the Hague thing would get sorted out once Vegas knew what their opening day roster looked like. If you look at their cap situation, they got within $17 of the cap, maximizing their LTIR, and then signed Hague. It was a very, very smart play. There were a few teams who did a really good job of this. Tampa Bay got within $33. I think I saw the Toronto Maple Leafs got within $4. And it's smart strategy. If you're going to go into LTIR, maximize it. Vegas did that. And I'm not surprised in the least bit that this is the day that Hague signed. As this dragged on, I kind of got the impression that that's what was going to happen. And it did. With Hague, three-year deal, I think that's great for player and team. You want some term there. He's an important player for them. He's a really good player. I heard teams in Calden ask Vegas, they're going to move him. Vegas didn't want to move him, and they shouldn't. He's a really good player, and they could use him. One really interesting thing about his contract, it's 2.7-ish this year. It goes down to about 1.5 next year, then 2.7 back for the third year so that he can get the biggest possible qualifying offer. Interesting structure. From what I understand, it's pretty unique. But at the end of the day, it's never good to miss games, and it's never good to alienate young players you hope are part of your core. He gets done, and it's good for everybody. Waivers. I have to say, I completely missed it on waivers for Monday. There were five claims, and they weren't the guys I was expecting. I thought Hapanyemi from Florida would get it luck. I thought maybe Bemstrom from Columbus would get a look, although I wasn't sure. I thought maybe. I thought Kentney from Seattle would get a look. None of those guys got claimed. The thing with Mike Riley is I didn't think Mike Riley was going to get claimed, even though he's a really good player. After Jordan Martinuk didn't get claimed because of his contract, I thought there was a decent chance Riley wasn't going to get claimed uh, because of his contract, and that turned out to be true. If he was on a lower deal, I think he would have been claimed for sure. It just didn't happen because he's owed $3 million cash this year and $4 million cash next year. People just couldn't make that work or didn't want to try to make that work because Riley's a good player. So among the claims that I thought were really interesting, Connor Ingram, Arizona. You know, I wrote about Connor Ingram last year. He's a really good story. He went through a lot, including going into a situation where he he went to get help for some mental health issues that he had been battling. He seems to be in a much better place. You can't help but root for someone like that. And I'm hopeful that he gets a good opportunity in Arizona, and he probably will. Another one I was curious about was Josh Mahara. Florida was looking for D. They don't have the ability to do a lot of things, and they went out and they got him. I think he's an individual who will get a chance there. And the other one I really kind of stood out to me was Axelson Fialbi going from Washington to Winnipeg. Axelson Fialbi, I've been told, has really good forechecking metrics. And it's sort of like Zach Aston Reese in Toronto. Just a player who has really good, if you believe in the metrics of people who go and win battles and get pucks, I like guys like that. I think they can really fill in good spots around a team. And I'm not surprised that somebody would take uh, a chance on him uh, for that reason. So that's some of the news. There were also two other claims. Brett Leeson was claimed. Jared Tenorti was claimed. Leeson by the Ducks. Tenorti by Chicago. But that's uh, some of the news from Monday afternoon. 
Let me see if I can tie something together here before we go to break and come back with our Eastern Conference preview. Nick Hague, 2017 draft, the Chicago draft, Nico Heischer first overall. Hague is drafted 34th overall, second round by the Vegas Golden Knights. Just mentioned L.A. Tolvanen of Nashville. He's grabbed in the first round 30th overall from Sioux City of the USHL and the player drafted 31st overall from Moscow Dynamo in the KHL, Clem Costin. That's the Chicago draft, and there was one thing that was very unique about the draft that year. So I was backstage the entire night. That was the year they had all the main players not sit in the stands, but there were tables backstage that they were all sitting around. Some family members were there, and they would come out from behind the stage, starting with Nico Heischer, uh, who was first overall in that draft, and then Nolan Patrick and Hakeskin into Dallas and McCarr. So that one was a unique one. And I always wondered, you need to think about the NHL All-Star game when they used to do the selections, who's going to be the last guy? And Clem Costin, I just remember watching as Clem Costin was the last guy in the room. It was like me, a couple of other people, and a really lonely-looking Clem Costin in that room. Always felt bad for that guy. Anyway, he's now a member of the Oilers. You have a thought on this trade? Well, first of all, I thought that was a great pick from St. Louis when they made it because I thought it was worth a shot, a high-level talent at the end of the first round. I have to say, too, when Samarukov was on waivers, I was a bit surprised that nobody claimed him. Now, at this time of the year, people have already seen... It goes back to what we talked about with goalies. You've seen your prospects, right? You've seen what you've got, and young players want to be given a chance. And so maybe you don't feel good about adding somebody this late after you've basically had your team made, right? Because, you know, if you want to send them down, they have to clear waivers for you. I I guess all this plays in, but I think those are both talented young guys who could really benefit from a change of scenery. Edmonton will give Koskin a look. Samarukov will get a look in in, uh, St. Louis. I like Samarukov especially. I'm... uh, I'm really curious to see what St. Louis sees there and what their plans are for them. Before we get back to our regular programming, we need to talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco Boat. Really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi spiced beef, Kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options. Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Okay, Elliot, we'll start the season preview in the Eastern Conference in the Atlantic Division. Patrice Bergeron is back. David Krejci has returned. No Marchand and McAvoy until December. No Grizzly until November. Let's start with the Boston Bruins. Well, you'll remember that when we last were talking about the Bruins, we were talking about how they made a roster move last week that indicated they couldn't make the best player decisions. Correct. McLaughlin got sent down, and we were talking about how, even though he deserved maybe a spot, Boston just didn't have the ability to do that because they want to win. Well, what do they go out and do on Sunday? 
they waive Nick Foligno, Mike Riley, and Chris Wagner, which means that Studnika, Nosek, and Greer, all of whom are waiver eligible, made the roster. So evidently, the Bruins want to make this an anti-factual podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Boston Bruins. I think the Bruins are going to be okay. My feeling on them is if you look at their schedule, like the people who think that Jeremy Jacobs runs the National Hockey League think that he showed his injury list to the commissioner and said, give it to me easy the first three months. Because if you look at their schedule, it is back heavy. And I just think they're good enough to be okay, particularly with the with the players back that you mentioned. I think the Bruins are going to be what they always are, consistent, don't beat themselves. They'll struggle a little bit early. They'll figure it out later. And they're going to be a headache in the first round for whoever gets them. Uh, they're going with the uh, the goaltending combo once again of Linus Ulmark and Jeremy Swayman. We caught up with Swayman in Vegas. And amongst other things, Elliot, I think our listeners will get a kick out of this. We talked about ballet. Throwing a dart here. Ballet? Yeah. Is that a Maine? Yeah, I did it one <laughs> one semester at Maine. What did you think? It was the best thing ever. Was it a course? Yeah, it was a legit like uh, lab, like a ballet lab. We were going into class every day. What did you learn? And how, like, how, how did it help you as a goalie? Uh, well, the biggest thing I took away from it was the body awareness and how balanced you can, mm-hmm. you can really, you know, it's not just about <laughs> putting two feet on the ground. It's, you know, yeah. using your groins, using your core, using your uh, glutes, uh, putting your body in, in positions where these small, minute muscles are taken over and you really have to have body awareness. So now you like watch a ballet set and it's like the appreciation level goes so much <laughs> higher because they're pointing the toe the right time. They're putting their hips up in the right time. It's so cool to watch. So yeah. I was, I'm really glad I did it. Do you still do it? Yeah. Up and I mean, not as, um, you know, religiously as I used to, but like, um, anything with ankle flexion, I'm yep. really into that. So anything on the bar, if I could do some sort of ankle flexion mm-hmm. and working on range of motion with that, as well as strengthening, you know, calves, groins, hips, uh, that's, that's what I like to do. And my new nickname for it is black swan. That's what I'm going to start. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great movie. Yeah. I, I like that movie. <laughs> so, now, did, were there any other like, players like Maine or any other hockey players who took it with you or anything like that yeah we had three of us in there and uh we were all set up for our recital mm-hmm. but then COVID hit and so oh, I know, that's we had, too bad. We had all the boys going yeah it was a bummer but uh yeah there's three of us there's actually a couple of football players in there too it was a scene mm-hmm. yeah it was funny you have other players asking you about ballet at all? Anyone yeah. curious about it? It's funny. It's like <laughs> my goalie coach Alfie up in Maine, Misho. He uh, he requires it for the goalies now. Really? <laughs> yeah. So all the goalies are taking ballet the first year there. So uh, yeah, it's kind of funny seeing how it worked. But um, I definitely do get questions. You know, curious people. Like I love it, right? And uh, anything to give yourself an advantage or an edge, and like. It definitely was a, a mindset thing more than anything. It's like, I don't care what people think, you know, I'm just going to do my thing and, and get my credits. But it ended up being like this awesome thing that I learned and, and took to my advantage. The only thing that bothers me about the Bruins this year is McAvoy's injury is going to prevent me from getting him the Norris sooner rather than later. He's not going to win it this year. Mm-hmm. Every year I vote for him. Every year I promote him. And I really thought this was going to be the year until he got hurt. 
I thought Kale McCarr was going to run with this Bobby Orr style for like the next seven or eight years. He might. It's possible. It's certainly possible. But I'm really trying to get McAvoy and Norris. Uh, Tage Thompson, Buffalo Sabres, uh, the big contract extension. That was the big news around Buffalo Sabres camp all offseason long. Kevin Adams is not exactly the most active. Craig Anderson returns. Him and Eric Comrie will be the goaltenders in Buffalo. And Kyle Poso is now their captain. Your thoughts on the Swords? In the past few years in the Atlantic Division, it's been the four teams in the playoffs. It's been Boston, it's been Florida, it's been Tampa, and it's been Toronto. I believe that will break this year. I think every year in the league, something happens that's a little bit wild that you're not expecting. A team or two make the playoffs you never would have thought. A team or two miss the playoffs you never would have thought. And part of me wants to see a breakup of that quartet in the Atlantic. Now, the thing is, I can't decide who is the team that I'm convinced is going to miss. It's not Tampa. And I also can't decide which of the teams that I think is going to make it. Craig Simpson was always a guy who believed, be wary of the team that wins when there's nothing on the line. And a team like Buffalo last year would be the kind of team that he'd be talking about. I think it's different. I look at them and I see a team that started to grow, a team that started to understand how to play, believed in the system it's going to play, I think they had to get Eichel out of there for him and for them. Tuck breathed new life into them. I don't think it's going to be too long, potentially. And and Jeff, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. But I think Owen Power could have a Makar-like existence and effect on this team. And And I don't think it's going to be too long until we're talking about him as one of the best players in the league. The one thing that scares me about them is... I just look at Anderson, Comrie, and goal, and I'm not convinced that's going to be enough. I I just think Mm -hmm. as competitive and as much as I love Anderson, he is 41. I do believe Comrie's a good goalie. He's just never had the kind of workload I think that's going to be necessary this year, and I just don't know how he's going to do. You know, there are a lot of teams uh, that were interested in Comrie as as the backup. Buffalo Sabres obviously got him. And you mentioned Owen Power a second ago. And, you know, we think of the blue line in Buffalo. Sure, we're going to think of Owen Power. And to your point, he may win the Calder Trophy this year. Yes, back-to-back defenseman winning the Calder. But I think of Rasmus Dahlin. And Rasmus Dahlin, who really, in a significant way, started to figure it out for himself last season with the Buffalo Sabres. We caught up with him at Vegas at the NHL Players Tour and asked him what his goals were for the season. Yeah, so my uh, my mind, mindset last season was just play fearless. Don't don't think, just go out there and play. And if shit happens, shit happens. And, um, you know, but this year I want to be like an elite defenseman in the league. I want to be dangerous in every shift and uh, I want to, to play, I want to play big minutes, and uh, I want to play in uh, important situations, and I just want to keep growing, and I want to play every situation. Yeah, is it still like same mentality? Don't think if ble- if shit happens, shit happens. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the attitude Donnie came in with, um, told all the young guys, especially me, um, and he he backed me up when when I did something. Yeah. And he said, if you're doing something, a mistake or whatever, just show me you work hard and I won't say anything. So that is my mindset. As long as I work hard and compete, you kind of get like a free pass if you do something. 
and that helped me a lot and uh, i'm just going to keep that mindset for sure are you a bills fan yeah would you jump through a table <laughs> not during the season maybe off season <laughs> uh, i haven't tried that actually no <laughs> Which saber would absolutely jump through a table, no questions asked? There's a few of them. Uh, would you say Sammy? Oh, yeah, Anders Bjork. Yeah, we got Anders Bjork, but Matteo Samuelsson, that guy is <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of people that don't know about him, but he's, yeah, he's special. He's, he, he, that guy's hilarious. Mm-hmm. First of all, well, I think that's a great answer. I'm betting <laughs> the Sabres don't want him doing that in or out of season. Yes. He can do it when he retires. Sure. It's a good answer, though. Bills fans will love it. From the Buffalo Sabres, we go to the Detroit Red Wings. And welcome Andrew Kopp. Welcome David Perron, Dominic Kubalik, Ben Sherratt, Oli Mata, Vili Husso. And a couple of things are still sort of standing out here. And the one elephant in the room is the Dylan Larkin contract situation. Where What's happening there? And where are you at on the wings this year? You know, Lamorello was the guy that everybody used to be terrified of in this league. I think Iserman has surpassed that. He is the most terrifiable executive. Is that what we could call him? <laughs> I do think that he's that guy right now. And what all I'd heard was that Iserman had indicated back in the summer, because Larkin has a no trade that kicked in this season. And I believe, this is my opinion, I believe that Iserman wanted to know he could sign Larkin before that no trade kicked in. And when nothing happened, I believe that he was going to stay. I still believe that that is the most likely outcome. The one thing I've been kind of told this offseason, Jeff, is that some of these long-term deals have really driven the market. And I think some of these contracts and Larkin's one and Horvat's another that teams thought were going to be a little bit easier have turned out to be more complicated and mm. higher because some of the numbers out there, the the St. Louis guys are two guys that are mentioned, you know, Barzell, like to me, Barzell's extension is not a big deal. He just doesn't have incredible counting numbers, right? Yep. And because sports are becoming more and more actuarial and becoming more and more about numbers than all the time about individual impact in terms of intangibles or whatever, every time a contract comes up there, it makes negotiation more challenging in these situations. So I think Larkin and I think Horvat, those contracts have been affected. And I think the number is probably higher right now than Detroit wanted it to be. We'll see when we get there. I just think that this summer's made a lot of these contracts more complicated. You know, we spoke to Dylan Larkin in Vegas and asked him a couple of different things. And we asked him about the moves because, you know, as we just saw, you know, Steve Eisman is one of the busier general managers this offseason. And I think one of the questions that we were both curious about is how much does Steve Eisman fill Dylan Larkin in on his decisions? July free agency comes around and the Red Wings are very busy. Did you have any idea that that was going to be the plan? A little bit, a little bit, not much, but um, there were some names that uh, were kind of around. And then when it came to the day, we went out and got them. And, you know, Andrew Kopp was was a a close friend for a long time and still is and uh, (laughs) probably going to be closer now. But, um, you know, I've been uh, talking to him from the end of the season, kind of gave him some time to to digest uh, his run with New York and 
kind of tried to get in his ear a little bit and was really hoping we could get him and, and it worked out. So that was a, a big pickup, David Perron as well, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Billy Huso. So we, we got to, brought in some guys, a lot of new faces around the rink, including new coach. So I think it's, it's really exciting. Now that the expectation is the Red Wings take a step, what does he tell you? Well, we, yeah, we, we talk about what the plan is, right? What the, and it's always been patience and patience and it still is. And, you know, you put a roster together. It doesn't, doesn't really mean a lot, you know, until you, you show up to camp, you show up to October 14th when we, when we play our first game, you know, and, and we have to go out and prove it. So, um, you know, I think from what our conversations has been, you know, he preaches to me defense and, and, kind of similar to what what he probably went through in his career and you look at Tampa Bay has done and Steven Stamkos and and uh how he's kind of evolved into a, a 200 a really really good 200 foot player he can play center he can play wing and uh we talk about that I just have to say it's nice to see that Steve Eisman actually tells somebody what he's thinking. <laughs> well, just because he doesn't tell you doesn't mean that he's not. Te- there are other people around him. <laughs> it's not just me. You know, it's not just me. I think he's got a, a, a very tight circle. Look, if you take a look at them uh, last year, there were a couple of results late in their season. They had that wild 10-7 game with Toronto, which was a crazy game. Mm-hmm. But two weeks after that, they lost 9-2 at home to Arizona. The Arizona Coyotes follow up an eight-goal performance on Saturday with nine tonight. Most they've ever scored in a game since moving to Arizona. Four more points for Nick Schmaltz. That's 11 in the last two contests. And it's all Coyotes. In Hockey Town tonight, 9-2 the final. What a way to get this five-game Eastern road trip off to. And they'll head now to Toronto. And they had a game in Pittsburgh at the end of March where they lost 11-2. Sider will just carry the puck inside his zone, and that will do it. And the, uh, the remaining fans here roar with excitement. <laughs> they are super excited. I think they would have been more so with a 12-goal, Borky. Unfortunately, they didn't get it, but... I think 11, that's a pretty good number for you on a Sunday afternoon. It's not too shabby. For what happened in New York, it is clearly in the rearview mirror. The Penguins come out, and they take care of business here tonight. And I just remembered saying to myself, there's no way Iserman's going to let this happen much longer. Mm -hmm. And when they started signing everybody on July 13th, I thought about those two games. And there were a couple other ones. I know they got their butts kicked by Florida late in the season two. I think that was like a 6-1 or 7-1 game. And you have young players and you're trying to teach them how to win. And you you can't have them getting their asses kicked all the time. And your fans want to see more than that too. They You can't keep showing this to your fans. And I think that it's simply a situation where they say, we're going to fill some holes. We're going to do some short-term deals with some veterans, and we're going to get better. And again, Jeff, I'm not sure. I I know some people are picking Detroit for playoffs this year. Mm. I don't know that I'm convinced of that. I think they're going to be better. I don't think they're going to get blown out late in the season like they did last year. The one guy I want to watch this season is that six foot eight forward. Now, I've seen him listed at six foot six. 
I've seen him listed on the Red Wings broadcast at six foot eight. Maybe the Red Wings broadcasts are like Tinder. You always inflate your height by two. <laughs> by inches. the way, that's Elmer Soderblom. Where you're talking, you're talking about right now. I am really curious about this guy. He is, as you know, if you've heard me on this podcast, I'm really infatuated with Arbor Jackeye from Montreal. Yes, you are. <laughs> so Ken Daniels sent me a note saying to watch this Soderblom, and I watched one of his preseason games, and, and this guy is massive. So he's another one I'm going to be watching. Okay, eyes there. We'll be watching a couple of. Now, do you do you think Detroit's a playoff team or no? I don't. Best case scenario, they're one season away, but I think that they're probably two because a combination of things has to happen. Teams have to fall out yeah, in order for Detroit to get there. I think we all see the direction this team is headed and they've made, listen, their drafting has been excellent. Their developing has been really good. We all know what this team is going to look like when they're a consistent, legitimate contender. I just don't think that they're there yet, but I think they've insulated some of the younger players with a lot of good veterans that I don't think it's going to be a full season of pain. Like, I don't know when Detroit falls out of it. Maybe they scrap right to the end. I don't know, but it's no longer a team that's going to be like, well, it's Christmas and Detroit is out. Those days are gone for the Detroit Red. I agree. I think they're getting closer, but they're not there yet. We'll be watching the Florida Panthers and we'll be watching Matthew Kachuk. We'll be watching Colin White. We'll be watching Paul Maurice behind the bench. But we won't be watching Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Wieger. They are out. It's the, once again, New Look Panthers, although they will not have a, a key piece in Anthony DeClaire, who's still out with the Achilles injury. What do you make of the Panthers? This is a team that went all in last year. Oh, yeah. They didn't just mortgage their future. They subprimed their future. Mm. And I don't have a huge problem with that. I think... There are times in your existence when you have to go for it. And I understood why the Panthers went for it last year. That that didn't bother me. Well, it didn't work. And now you make another huge trade. One of the things I think they looked at it was, if they extend Huberto and Uyghur, I don't think Huberto's getting what he got in Calgary. Like I don't think he's getting 8 times 10.5, but that's the Florida tax discount, right? Okay, so let's say he gets 8. I think it's probably like eight, maybe eight times nine, eight times nine, whatever. Okay. Whatever the case is, he's looking. Those are the kinds of contracts that Florida would have had to sign for both of those players. Correct. And and they ultimately decided we're going to take a year of pain and then we'll see what we can do with the cap room. And this team is going to be able to score goals. Are they going to be able to defend? Ekblad, to me, is an all-world defenseman. Yes. And then look around them. What do you see? When I look at this Florida Panthers team, first of all, as you know, I love Matthew Kachuk. Yes. And last season, he's a 100-point guy. But I just I love him in the regular season, love him in the playoffs. Like As soon as Zito took over, it was, let's get harder to play against. Because the reputation the Panthers had is they're too soft. They're easy to play against. And so right away, I think one of Zito's first moves is like, let's bring in Patrick Hornquist, who everybody hates playing against. And it's been a continuation of, let's bring in nasty players, players that are like Radko Gudis, guys that are tough to play against. That's why Kachuk works. To me, I don't know, this may sound weird, considering Huberto's one of the best playmaking wingers in the game. I think they miss Mackenzie Wieger more than they'll miss Jonathan Huberto. 
because uh, I know how you feel about Ekblad. I feel the same way. Uh, now, does Alan Walsh have your number? <laughs> he's gonna call me and scream at me. No, but I mean the the Huberdo minus is mitigated by well, they got you know they uh, they know got Ma- they saying. got Matthew I, just, they got Matthew Kachuk to compensate. It was one of the first things that Aaron Ekblad talked about. Is how crappy this is for the Florida Panthers. I just wonder, are they going to be able to defend? I love Ekblad. I like Gustav Forsling. Um, Brandon Montour is a very gifted offensive defenseman. I have the same concerns that you do. And the other thing, too, is, Jeff, is that if they really want to go out and get something big, they're not going to be able to do it. Well, I shouldn't say they're not going to be able to do it because you can. there's ways you can do it, but it's going to be a challenge for them to do it. Mm-hmm. They don't have a lot of their best pieces, young tradable pieces anymore. So unless you're dealing with someone like Spencer Knight, which I don't see, this is a team that has to draft and develop well. You know, Tampa has proven you can pay your first-round picks, but you've really got to hit later and Tampa's done that look at what they've done outside of the first round that's where you are right now if you're the Panthers yeah and the other thing I'd like to say about Florida is would it surprise you if Knight is the number one goalie no by the end of the year no not at all I think we're all wondering if this is the year well he's always been in that conversation with either the Jake Ottinger group yeah with the Jake Ottinger class of goaltenders you wonder, but the only question is, will he be given enough games to do it? We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Montreal, none of us like the news about Carey Price. We hope the best for him. Jeff Petrie is out. Kirby Doc is in. Yuri Slavkovsky is in. Sean Monahan is in. Michael Matheson is in. And Jake Allen re-ups. Your thoughts on the Habs? I don't expect them to be good, but I do expect them to make life more difficult than other people. By the way, this could be one of the all-time tank years in both the NBA and the NHL. You've got Connor Bedard. And Jeff, have you seen any of the highlights this week of Victor Wembanyama? Uh, No, but I've heard enough people say his name to know that I should probably start paying attention. (laughs) So this could be the ultimate tank winter in the two biggest winter sports. Mm -hmm. Because after this guy... Recently played in a tournament that this week, people were drooling all over him, and we know how much everybody drools over Connor Bedard. So I'm deciding this year. To me, Arizona and Chicago are kind of in a class by themselves, and then you've got Montreal, and you've got maybe Anaheim. Although I still think the goalie's pretty good, and though he got hurt, I think their blue line is going to keep him from being in that conversation. Yeah, I understand. And you know, San Jose. I don't know what we've got there yet. The true wild card to me is Philadelphia. We're gonna get we're gonna get there in a little bit, but I I feel the same about you. But I just can't see John Tortorella being part of any of that. Well, I don't think it'll be an intentional tankathon. I just think that the way circumstances are going with them, they could end up in it. I have a lot of thoughts about Montreal. First of all, I don't think it's the end of the world if Slavkovsky doesn't last in the NHL. We have to get out of this belief that if you're not there right away, you're a failure. The guy's never played in North America. 
He's gifted as anything. He's incredibly talented, gifted player. If he doesn't play in the NHL, it's not the end of the world. That's number one for me. Hang on. Just as an aside, Owen Power went to Michigan. And now we're talking about him as being potentially, you know, well, first of all, Calder Trophy candidate and talking about him as being, you know, on the horizon, one of the best defensemen in the NHL. It's okay. That guy was the first overall pick and he went back to, went back to college. Mm -hmm. It's fine. It's okay. You can do it. I'm really curious about Gooley. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've talked as much, uh, uh, how much I love Jekai. Like Jeff, they could finish for argument's sake, 28 this year. To me, it's how they play. Are they a headache? Are they a problem? Do some of their young players show improvement? That's what I look at when I look at at these guys. I don't think Martin St. Louis is going to allow these guys to throw in the towel at any time. Yeah. There's not a chance. Uh, let's fly through a few more. We've talked a lot about Ottawa. We did an entire podcast about the Ottawa Senators, as a matter of fact. Uh, Connor Brown, players like him, Chris Cherney out in, Claude Giroux, uh, Alex DeBrinkett, Cam Talbot, Magnus Helberg, now that Talbot is, is injured, and new deals for Josh Norris and Tim Stutzla. Do you have a quick thought, because we've talked plenty about them, the Ottawa Senators? I still think they're going to add a defenseman. I believe they've talked internally about it. And my expectation is they're still going to do it. It comes down to uh, the price. Uh, it comes down to the fit on the size. To me, the, the season with Ottawa comes down to what happens on their first losing streak, Jeff. Mm. Every team goes through one. What happens when you have your first three-game streak, your first four-game streak? Do you panic or do you reel it in? Remember Vancouver going to the Stanley Cup? They had a 10-game losing streak. Well, for the Ottawa Senators, it happened early in the season last year, and it put them behind the eight ball right away, and they chased the schedule the rest of the season. They chased the schedule all year long. And I bring back my stat this year, which is my end of October stat, right? If you're, mm. more than, if you're four or more out at the beginning of November, you very rarely make the playoffs. Now, that said... When I look at the breakup of the Atlantic and the breakup of that quartet, I think Ottawa was the team to do it. They've already been hit some by some adversity. Talbot's out. He's going to miss time with an injury. Um, they still don't have the defense that they want yet. But, look, every team in this league has weaknesses. The key to success in the NHL is overcoming your weakness. And they have holes. They're not perfect but I see enough talent on their roster that they should be able to overcome some of their holes. The the challenge now is for Ottawa not to just be a team of individuals, but to become a good team. And talented players with the right sense of direction and the right feeling and the right desire and the willingness to do the right things, that's what they do. Like the, the Colorado Avalanche is a Stanley Cup team the Tampa Bay Lightning is a Stanley Cup team, have brilliant individual players who have the right mentality. And I think that's what Ottawa's going to have to move to, take all these great individuals they have mm-hmm. and turn them into a phenomenal team. And this is the year where you've got to take the first step to that. You have holes. How do you overcome your holes? Because you should overcome some of them. Okay, so you mentioned Stanley Cup teams a second ago, and we'll get the Tampa Bay Lightning here. And you always wonder about teams 
as they go through their winning cycles, their Stanley Cup cycles, in Tampa's case now, there are two Stanley Cups in a Stanley Cup final appearance cycle. When you go through that, after every season, you have to let go of players because of salary cap ramifications. It's just, and we learned this, you know, initially with the Blackhawks so many years ago, and that tradition continues. And we saw it again this summer with the Tampa Bay Lightning saying goodbye to Ryan McDonough and Andre Palat. Is there, and I still think there is, enough there there for the Tampa Bay Lightning to make it back, even without McDonough, even without Palat? Who's going to bet against them? Who's going to say no? Not me, but at a certain point, like after a while, you, like, there's only so many wounds you can take. Like, man, losing McDonough is hard. Yes. Like your number one shutdown guy is on your number one shutdown pair. Losing Andre Palat, like the poor man's Marion Hosa, is hard if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like after a certain while, it's like, okay, you may not want to use it as a excuse, but it is a reason why you take a step back. I just think they're too good. And they have the eraser. They have Rivera. <laughs> Mariano Rivera. They've, they've got him in goal. You know, yeah. He covers up a lot of problems. And as, as we spoke to him in Vegas, this is a guy whose desire to be great, he's completely unsatisfied. Well, let's hear from him. We talked to him, as you mentioned, in Vegas. And one of the questions we talked about is, would he want to be seen as one of the greatest goaltenders of all time? Some already say he is. Here's Vasilevsky. Would you say that I want to be seen as the greatest of all time? Of course, I think that's the uh, that's the goal for every goalie. You know, at the end of your career, you want to be considered as one of the best uh, of, all, of all time. But <laughs> it takes uh, so much uh, to be named one of the greatest of all time. So it's very hard to do. We can talk about after retirement. So and we uh, will take a look back at all your achievements how your mm. cups wins and then we can decide who's the best all time but to name the greatest goalie right now it's it's too soon so you're very humble <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. i mean that how it works in my opinion yeah so you have to have to be consistent throughout your career it's all about consistency we see many goalies nowadays one two seasons great seasons and then all of a sudden that's it that's all but okay can you name a few goals uh who's been consistent for the last five six seven seasons it's probably that's your sta- that's your standard exactly yeah it's all about consistency so i love the guy i i really do i love his attitude i love his chase for perfection his desire to be the best that hasn't changed at all and that's why I don't worry about them. The other thing, too, is you talk about the guys they've lost. Look at the guys they've elevated. Chernak, he's a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. Sergachev, they've turned him into a really good player. Sorelli, you know, he couldn't lift his arms in the Stanley Cup final. He still played through it. He's a hell of a player. Plus everybody they've already got. And then look what they've added. They've turned Russ Colton into a player. They've they brought in Brandon Hagel. And of course, they they have the guys who are the absolute best. Hang on, I just I just want to make sure you throw in Nick Paul there because I thought he was fantastic for them and, and was really rewarded with a nice contract. Yes, Nick Paul is a, is a, is another one. And you know the thing about Nick Paul is I, I was happy for him because he took a real gamble. You know, Ottawa was making him a decent offer, 
and it was more than he's ever seen in his career. And he took the chance that he could do even better, and he did. Mm -hmm. And those gambles aren't easy. Anybody who's been out there kind of without a safety net a little bit, betting on yourself I always think is the best thing to do, but it's not always the easiest thing to do financially. And I just think this team is so good, and they've got so much going for them. And you know if they think they can win, they're going to go out and they're going to get more. Okay, to the Maple Leafs. Um, out two goaltenders, Jack Campbell, Peter Morazic. In two new goaltenders, Matt Murray, Ilya Samsonov. Uh, you can also add to that mix Nicholas Obey-Kubel, Stanley Cup champion, and Zach Aston-Reese signed officially on Sunday. John Tavares starts the season injured. Your thoughts on the Leafs? So first of all, we're taping this Eastern podcast at 5.15 Eastern time on Sunday. We all should be watching game three of the American League wildcard series between Toronto and the Seattle Mariners. So, I, like, I was there yesterday. You're going to hang on. You're going to point blame? No, I'm not going to point blame. You're going you're to point blame one particular play, one person, one manager. I, one... I thought they took out Gosman too early, but it doesn't matter. When you're up 8-1, you should win the game, Jeff. There's yeah. a lot of things that go wrong when you're up 8-1. So, I, I was at the game. And first of all, I'm terrible luck because I was at both games. And secondly, I'm sitting here a day later and I still can't believe it happened. Like I really, <laughs> I really can't believe it happened. And there's a big debate going around. What is worse, a loss after an 8-1 lead over Seattle or a loss after the 4-1 lead to Boston in 2013? Do you have an answer, a preference here? I know what my response is. What's your response? My response is the Jays' loss is worse because they were a better team than that Toronto Maple Leafs team. Not surprisingly, I completely disagree with you, and your answer is worse. And, <laughs> and, and here is why. Why is that? The 2013 loss was worse, at least to me, for a couple reasons. First of all, people who are Blue Jays fans they have seen the Blue Jays win in their lifetime if they're my age. Okay, I'm 52. If you're my age, you have seen the Blue Jays win before. Mm -hmm. Okay? If you're my age, you have well, not seen the Maple Leafs win before. That doesn't yes, mitigate, does. that doesn't yes, mitigate does. how bad a loss it is. Yes, no, it does. No, no, no. Just because just we, we remember the the back-to-back -back hey, World Series. You had your time. Oh, my now, God. Now, back into your corner, and this All is right. my explanation. Okay. But I do think it matters. Maybe you don't, but I do. Mm. The second thing is, as much as the Raptors and the Blue Jays have become huge parts of the Toronto sporting fabric and in the Canadian sporting fabric in, in a lot of their ways, I still think for now, the Maple Leafs are Toronto's number one team. And that game, it was 4-1 with what, 10 minutes left? This one, it was 8-1, but it was the fifth inning. You know, if it was 8-1 in the eighth and they blew it or 8-1 in the ninth and they blew it, that might be worse. I thought the Maple Leaf loss was worse just because A, People for several different generations now, almost three, have never seen them win. And secondly, because I still think the Maple Leafs, and it may change, are the number one team in the market. So if I'm hearing this correctly, then when you were leaving the Rogers Center on Saturday, yeah. you were turning to people and saying, hey, gang, it's okay. They won back to back. World Series in the 90s. You should feel okay about I wasn't, that. You know me. I wasn't saying a thing. Do you think I would lecture people like that? Not a chance because I wouldn't want to get punched in the face by someone who would disagree with me. Don't you remember Joe Carter and Ricky Henderson and 
Paul Molitor and <laughs> I still can't believe it happened. I think the other thing, you know, for me, Jeff, is that as you know, and I said it many times, I just want to see a Canadian team win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. So I'm a bit more disassociated. But the Jays, like I do love the Jays. I don't cover baseball, so I, I, I watch every game I can. I was a bit more emotionally invested yesterday, which is why I still can't believe it. Yeah. But I think the least loss is worse. What I'm trying to figure out now is who's my team now that the Jays are out. I got I to gotta pick one. Mm. My, my two boys are both cheering for the Dodgers now, but that might be even though they're cheering for the Dodgers. Right I know, but they're that's like cheering for the Bank of Canada. What, like, what's the point of that? They're going for the, the easy one. They're like, oh, yeah, okay, we're just going to take the Dodgers, dad. And I go, okay, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm there yet. So I got to figure out who my team is going to be now. I'm taking whoever wins between the Mets and the Padres. That's who I'm Okay, taking. very good. I've always enjoyed the Padres. We'll see. Might be fun. Maple Leafs, yes. Okay. First of all, the goaltending, is it just me or do you have the sense that the whole Murray-Samsonov combo is going to be either boom or bust? There's no in between? No, I don't. Okay. And here's why, because I don't think that the Maple Leafs defense gets enough credit for being as good as it is. So even if they don't have a statistically good year, I still think they're going to be fine. In case in point, Jack Campbell. Now, Jack Campbell had two really good months last season to kick off the season. After that, wasn't exactly spectacular goaltending, but that was never the conversation because Toronto's defense never allowed it to be that conversation. It's like the same as I said about the goaltending. I know people who are really positive. I know people who are really negative. Like, I guess Dom LeCision, whose work I find pretty interesting he predicted them to be the like what the number one team in the league. Yeah, the athletic. Yeah, like I like Dom. Sorry, Dom. I think that's crazy. I I, I do. It's just what the numbers are saying, ma'am. It's just what the numbers are saying. <laughs> and I could be wrong, and Don could be right. He's pretty <laughs> smart, but like when when you say goalies are voodoo, I don't know how you could look at that duo with all the uncertainty and say this is the number one team in the regular season. But I think they're going to be fine in the regular season. Overall, I think they're going to be fine. I, I think Matthews really gets it. He's not a guy who says a lot publicly. He's obviously very reserved. But I, I really look at him and I see a guy who gets it. And I think the, the team kind of falls in line around him. And that's why I think in the regular season, I think they're going to be okay. We all have the same questions. I see a very wide spectrum of where this could go. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I like, I like that Robertson earned a spot on the team. You know, I'm not a huge Mulligan guy. I give him credit for earning a spot on the team. I do. Because I'll tell you, last week, there were some guys saying to me that if Mulligan goes on waivers, they're going to lose him. Somebody's going to claim that guy. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't really have to worry about that because he's not going on waivers. I don't know how anybody can predict what this team is going to do with any certainty other than I think they'll be fine in the regular season because I think they've got a lot of really good players. One thing I do know is, as I always say, I don't cheer for teams that cheer for players. I, and I like players that change the way they play midstream. Hey, this wasn't working for me five years ago. I need to change to stay in this league. That's Matt Murray right now. You know, last time I had a conversation with, you know, the goalie whisperer, Kevin Woodley, and he talked to me all about how Matt Murray is changing his game. And the question is, can he stick to it? Or does he go back to his, you know, his old habits? Uh, I'm cheering for the guy that's realized I need to change things here. And if you look at Matt Murray post-Belleville experience with the Ottawa Senators up until the injury, he looked like a goaltender that was changing the way he's playing. I always cheer for a guy like that. So I'm Camp Murray. I'm cheering for the guy.
let's get to the Metropolitan. And we'll start with the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Tony D'Angelo, Vincent Trocek, Nino Niederreiter out. Max Pacioretty, Brent Burns are in for the Carolina Hurricanes, a team that many are saying can win the Stanley Cup. Some questions. How good can Seth Jarvis and Martin Natchez be? And can Andre Svechnikov score 40 goals? Your thoughts on the Canes? Well, I'm one of those people who thinks that Carolina could win the Stanley Cup this year. I think they're going to be a fascinating team to watch. Look, we just talked about a team in Toronto where you wonder where the goaltending is going to go. I say the same thing about Carolina. I mean, Frederick Anderson has, has proven over and over again that he is a very good NHL goaltender and a guy who can really get you there in the regular season. We just have to wait and see, can he get you there in the postseason? And that's the question I think we all have with them. They've got everything that you could want to win. I think Burns is going to have a massive season there. I, I had a chance to speak to him a couple weeks ago. He really likes it there. And Sometimes in your life, you get complacent. You don't realize how much you need a change of scenery. And he needed it, and I think it'll be great for him. Pacioretty, once he gets healthy, he's going to be great there. I think they have a heck of a team, a lot of really good players. I have no question in my mind that Jarvis is going to be an even better player. He's super talented, and he will only get better. Mm -hmm. The only question I have is the same question that everybody else has. Will their goaltending hold up in the playoffs? Uh, one of the questions that we had in Vegas for Sebastian Ajo, Elliot, are how many different Sebastian Ajos are there? We asked them. So we saw something that was really interesting, and that is that I've been told that uh, publicly you're always like this. You're very calm, but privately, like, you're a killer. Like, like when you're when you're in the room or you're getting ready to play, you're a killer. How many different Sebastian Ajos are there? Definitely at least two. A uh, hockey player and just me. You know, it's true. Um, yeah, pretty comp- competitive and just try to... I can get a little fiery sometimes to just... Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's. I think it's easier to talk about somebody else than yourself. Yep. But... Um, yeah, I'm pretty easygoing, laid-back guy when I'm here or I'm doing my own stuff, not playing hockey, but actually any sport. I, I, I was going to say, like, I, you're I do, competitive I do, in anything. I do, like, compete, yeah. Uh, hate losing a lot. You know, Elliot, when we saw him in Paris, right away you could tell this guy's been in the gym. Like, he looks bigger, stronger, heavier, all of it. Like, he's never going to be, like, a 215, 220 guy, but you can tell he's he's put on some weight. Well, first of all, he's on the David Amber diet. <laughs> we should all get on that diet. Secondly, I love... 130 pounds of whippy blue steel. I love the way he rolled his eyes when we told him about <laughs> why Nito Rider said they lost in the playoffs last year. Yeah, it was good. I think Ajo was one of the most underappreciated great players or underrecognized great players in the NHL. I really like this Carolina team. I, I think, like I said, I, I think they're good enough to win. I really do. Columbus, uh, one of their moves really raised eyebrows in the offseason. So they bring in Johnny Gaudreau. They bring in Eric Goodbranson. Uh, it costs them Oliver Bjorkstrand, who ends up going to Seattle. You know, it didn't seem like it was about five minutes ago that... Columbus was getting rid of Seth Jones and we're starting this thing all over again and we're rebuilding this team. 
And then they turn around and sign Johnny Gaudreau. What do you make of Columbus right now? My first question about them is, if they give it a big run this year and they miss the playoffs, remember they missed by 20 points last year. The race from eight to nine in the East was not close as, as Columbus and the Islanders were way back. If they miss the playoffs, but they're close, is that going to be good enough for them? I want to see Merzlikens go to another level. One of our best podcast interviews ever, Merzlikens. I want to see him go to another level. I want to see Sillinger go to another level. As we do this, I'm not sure if Johnson's made the team or not. He doesn't need to go on waivers. Bemstrom was put on waivers on, on Sunday. I want to see the kids. Can they take another level? And one of the things about them is they felt they were really pushed around. I'm curious about that too. Are they, do they do enough to address that? Are they a bit of a meaner, edgier team? Because I do think that can take you somewhere. But, you know, for all the excitement with Goodrow and all the excitement with that move and it's deserved, I really do think the key to their team is some of their young players or younger players going to the next level and showing they're ready to take another step. When we initially taped this, we didn't know if Kent Johnson had made the team. Well, now we know on Monday afternoon that Kent Johnson has made the opening night roster. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him and their other young players. Okay, Elliot, sticking with Columbus, let's hear from Zach Wierenski. Caught up with him at the Players Tour in Vegas. And you have to ask, like every Columbus player, where were you when? Or what was happening in your life when your general manager signed Johnny Gaudreau? We asked Swarensky. I was kind of hearing we were trying to make a splash. Um, not really sure what that meant. Obviously, free agency, guys can go wherever they want. So um, just kept checking Twitter, was watching NHL Network. And then I think it was you, Elliot, whose tweet I saw saying um, Gaudreau headed to Columbus or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I called Eric Robinson immediately because he's friends with Johnny. Yeah. And he just started laughing. He's like, I think we got him. Like, we got Johnny Hockey. Um, first person I called, I think, was my dad. Just all excited that we got, uh, you know, the biggest free agent on the market. And then just texts and calls started ringing in from guys on the team, FaceTimes. Um, you know, everyone's just super excited to get a guy like that. So I'm trying to imagine what all those FaceTimes were like between you and your teammates. Yeah, it was like you said, it was just a lot of excitement. Um, kind of like that that holy shit moment. Like we actually got him. Um I could tell Yarmo was excited based on the text he sent back. I think it was like that's fucking go or something like that. <laughs> um and so at that point, like it just fired me up and I got all excited and then you start thinking about the season and possibilities and whatnot. But um just talking with the guys, everyone kinda had the same reaction. Couldn't really believe it. And then once it set in, everyone was just pure excitement. There's one other thing I just want to say about Columbus, too. Okay. So last couple of years, Line had 12 goals in 46 games. That was the trade, so there's a bit of a mulligan. And then 26 and 56. Do you not feel you want to see that guy score 50? Yes, I do. Said that from the first time that he scored 40, whatever it was, in Winnipeg. 36, 44, 30. In his first three years. We all said this guy's this guy's going to shoot the lights out and he's got to you know, finish his career with like five Rocket Richard trophies in his pocket. I want to see a player this year. I don't care if he gets 50, but I want to see a player this year who looks like he could score 50 repeatedly. Mm-hmm. It's time. 
The one thing that I've always loved about Line A, and I've mentioned it here before on the pod, and I've talked to you about it, I love the way this guy scores from distance. Yes. A lot of guys try to get into that home plate area, and that's where they're going to release the puck. Line A scores from farther away than anybody. That is only according to my eye. I'm sure someone's going to say to me, well, actually, this player scores more consistently from farther away. And that might well be true. But from my eye, watching the game, I don't know that I've seen anybody score from distance as consistently as Patrick Laine. It's something that you have to almost see every day to appreciate. Like you, you see it in games, right? And you see him take the one-timers and the highlights and you're yeah. like, that's incredible, right? But every day he'll come down and we didn't shoot drills and he's 10 for 10, doesn't miss. Or he'll come down and... He act like he's going to rip one. He'll sauce one top corner. And you're like, how did that go in? And the other day I was passing him one-timers and it was like bar down, back bar, far posting in. And he wasn't missing. Hmm. And when you see it consistently, as consistent as he does it, it's not just the, you know, you see the highlights of it. It's it's every time he shoots the puck, there's a chance it goes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the first time he got on the ice after the trade, we were all just sitting there. We we're skating around before practice and we're all just like watching him shoot pucks. I'm like, this is incredible. <laughs> I've never seen anything quite like it. So... It looks like he has a lot of confidence right now. He had a good summer, and how he's shooting the puck, I uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, easily get forty this year, maybe more. That's what I love about the guy. His shot is that hard and that good. This is the way I describe it. Sure, his shot is good. His shot is great. It's violent the way that thing whips. Like when he gets hold of it, Fridge. Like I always think about what goes through goaltenders' minds. Like when you see Line A shooting. It is a violent shot. Like, how do you not think this is really going to hurt me? Or this is going to send the net flying back or at least dent the crossbar. That's what I think of when I look at his shot. I think only Mike Hoffman compares goals from distance. Yeah, he's good too. All right, New Jersey Devils. Pavel Zaka to Boston. P.K. Subban retires. Ty Smith to Pittsburgh. Enter Andre Palat. Enter Eric Halla. Enter John Marino. Jesper Bratt resigns. I know we're going to have a ton of questions and sidebars about Damon Severson, and he's got one year left until he's UFA, et cetera, et cetera. If you look for teams to jump up and take a big step, you make the argument now Vitek Vanacek is in. New Jersey with goaltending is a much different team for each. There will be massive disappointment if these guys don't take a jump this year. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it will be massive disappointment. You can feel it. You could make an argument this year that there may be no more important goaltender in the NHL than Mackenzie Blackwood. I like Vanacek. I think he's a, a 1B or a 2. I think he's a guy that's going to stabilize your position for a little bit. I don't know if he's a guy who's going to take you on a long run. Blackwood clearly has the upside. Look, it was... A nightmare season uh, between Blackwood and the and the Devils last year. And it's on both sides to do better, right? And it sounds like they decided the marriage is going to continue and it's mutually beneficial if they make it happy. And he's so important for them. This is a guy who a year ago was on the Team Canada long list. He was that good. And there's no reason he can't get back there again. And I think he's so important, but I think this New Jersey team will be incredibly disappointed if it doesn't make a run. Incredibly disappointed. Mm-hmm. So Hughes was a point-of-game player last year before he got hurt. 
And the last couple of years have been weird, to say the least. I want to see that guy play 75, 80 games this year. Fingers crossed. Because I think I think he'll have a monster season if he does. Fingers crossed. Here we go. Prediction time. Fingers crossed to your point about Jack Hughes. He stays healthy. This is the season he really pops. Mm -hmm. And if he stays healthy, this is the year Nico Heischer finally enters the Selkie Trophy conversation. Mm -hmm. He's that good defensively five on five to say nothing of how talented he is offensively. To me, New Jersey is one of the more interesting teams in the NHL. I think there's some teams this year that want to get better. And if they don't, they'll be disappointed but it won't be enormous. I really think this year, if New Jersey doesn't take some kind of leap, yeah, I think they're going to be tremendously disappointed. New York Islanders. Um, wasn't exactly a, a big season of activity for the general manager, Lou Lamarillo. Romanoff comes in, as we know, from the Montreal Canadiens. Matthew Barzell signs a new contract. That was a massive bit of news before the season begins. But we wonder, you know, last year we know about all the excuses. We know what happened with COVID and the rink and the road trip and all that. Can the Islanders get back to where they were, i.e. taking teams to the conference final, Elliot? There are two teams that I think are really similar in the way their offseason went and what, what it means for them this year. And those are the Islanders in Winnipeg. They didn't make monumental changes. And they're hoping that a coaching change and a quote-unquote return to normalcy is going to be better for their group. I had a long talk with, as I mentioned uh, at one of our podcasts, some members of the team uh, in the offseason. And they just said that the burnout factor there last year was really high. Really, really, really high. Hmm. Do you remember when Peter DeBoer, I, I can't remember, he had passed a milestone last year and he just talked about in Vegas about, and I thought it was one of the really underrated quotes about last season about how where you were during the pandemic affected your mental strength. Like if you were in a place like Vegas where they were more willing to be open in the pandemic, it was quote unquote, easier on you to coach through that the last couple of years than some of the places where they were more strict. And again, this is not a referendum. Take your arguments elsewhere. I think it's an understanding that that was true. Well, New York State was, it was a tougher state. And that road trip last year and the way COVID went through them, I do think they wanted to make moves. I don't think they like what was out there. And what I do think they said is fine. If we can't do the things we might have wanted to do with our roster, how can we make life easier around the roster or improve at the edges? I think Barry Trotz was burned out. I think that's perfectly normal and perfectly understandable. So I think that's one of the changes they're going to make. And I think they're going to hope a return to normalcy will get them back going the other way. I mean, time will tell. I do believe... They wanted to make change. Mm -hmm. But one of the most dangerous times to make change is when you really want to do it. That's when you make your mistakes. And it might be proven smart that the Islanders didn't make a trade they regret. One more person I should have included in the ins for the New York Islanders, and that is new head coach Lane Lambert, uh, who takes over from the aforementioned Barry Trotz. Uh, Rangers, uh, Ryan Strom to Anaheim, Andrew Cobb to Detroit. 
Alexander Georgiev is now a member of the Avalanche. Uh, Frank Fatrano goes to the Anaheim Ducks. Nils mm-hmm. Lundqvist is now a member of the Dallas Stars. Uh, they bring in Vincent Trocek. They bring in Yaroslav Halak, Sammy Blay. Fingers crossed will be healthy for the entire season. Your thoughts on Gerard Gallant's New York Rangers? Uh, there's only one way to go, right? <laughs> it's a tough spot to be in because you you take the big leap and then ev- nobody ever wants to see you go backwards. True, but I don't see any reason why they should go backwards. I think they're good. I, I Panarin, I, I didn't get a chance to watch him a ton, but a couple people told me he looks great. You know, I think a lot of their young defensemen are going to be a year older. You know what's interesting? We had the debate a couple of weeks ago about the whole hit with um, with Zegras and, and Jan Janik, and, and I saw that Zegras even said he totally understood it was a good hit. And, you know, someone pointed out to me that Truba, who put the big hit on Crosby, he's now the captain of the team. Yeah. You know, I was at a coaching clinic with Dave Haxtell, Martin Saint-Louis, and Gerard Gallant, at uh, the draft in Montreal, and I asked all three of those coaches, "What really about your team really bothers you? Like when you see your team playing, what about what bothers you?" And Gallant's answer was really quiet. He says, "I don't like it when we get pushed around." Actually, Philip Heedle talked about that. What is Gerard Gallant like when he feels the Rangers are getting pushed around? He's not happy. He's <laughs> he's, he's not happy. He's uh, he changed the mentality in our team. Like so many games what we lost in previous seasons when we were up one goal and we were coming to the third period and we just lost the games. This year you could see right from the start of the season that we win the games what we should lose. We just win that games because we had a different mentality. He put us some different mentality and it happens. You don't have your yep. your 100% game every night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when you at least you have to play the right way. Mm-hmm. And when we don't do that, that's uh, what he doesn't like, <laughs> how you said. And, and that's, then that's, uh, that's hurricane. That's hard after that. <laughs> so it's better to play the right way. <laughs> Dave Amber asked me today, do you think it's crazy to pick them to go to the Stanley Cup? No. I said no. The one thing is... I, I think they need to become a little less dependent on Shesterkin. You need your goalie to be great, and obviously he is great. However, I think they need to make life a little easier for him. Even Vasilevsky has to be great for Tampa, and they're a hell of a team. But there's degrees of how you make life difficult on your goalie. And I just think they had too many nights last year where they made it too difficult on them. To me, that's where their ability is to get better, is they become a better team in front of them, which allows him to become even greater. Think about how great they'll be when they get Pat Kane at deadline, too. Well, Jeez, that, you know, it, it's funny you said that, because I, I do believe that is, until proven otherwise, I think the Rangers are, are the most likely destination Yep. Although there's a lot of variables there because we've said for months now that Kane's going to sit around and see who's good, right? Yep. Right now, everybody's good. And if they're good, I definitely could see them being the team. Definitely. Everybody is auditioning for Patrick Kane. Okay, the Philadelphia Flyers. 
Uh, Keith Yandel out. Martin Jones out. Nick DeLaurier and Zach McEwen, Tony D'Angelo in. But maybe the most important in for the Philadelphia Flyers is John Tortorella. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on Big Orange this year? I don't know what to expect here. Carter Hart hasn't played a game yet. They've got a lot of injuries. There's a lot of internal pressure on this team. Someone there told me the heat is on there. And one of the things that we talked about was, would it really be the worst thing for the Flyers if they got Bedard? Problem is they don't, they don't want to do what it's going to take to, That's exactly to get there. What he told That's me. the problem. That's what he told me. I'd like to know why Wade Allison cut his hair, too. Like, was this a Steinbrenner thing, cut your hair? But, you know, that that's what exactly what this guy said to me, Jeff, was it's probably not the worst thing if the Flyers get Bedard. Like, Chicago has clearly prepared everybody for this is what we're doing. Yes. Arizona has clearly prepared everybody for this is what we're doing. Yes. I'm not sure Philly has prepared everybody for that. And I'm not sure Philly institutionally is ready for that. But John Tortorella could put a better culture under you and have you better in the long term, and you could still have a bad year this year. I'm just not sure if the stomach is there for it. It's never been. This is a long-time Philadelphia Flyer thing of not deliberately taking a couple steps back. That's just never been Philly. I don't think that's changing now. They had the chance to do that in the offseason. They didn't. That would be the biggest shocker for me this year to see Philadelphia do that. I don't think it's the wrong thing to be having you know eyes on the star with the Regina Pats. I think that's a smart thing to do, probably. I just can't see the Flyers or their fans being cool with it because Flyers have never been about that. We'll see. Could I make a, a point with you on this? Sure. I think their fans... Would get it. I think some fans would get it. I don't. I don't know that the majority of Flyers fans would get it. Having said that, there was always the feeling that Maple Leafs fans wouldn't get it until they tried it. So maybe I'm disproving my own point, <laughs> but I don't know that the lion's share of Flyers fans are ready to be deliberately bad. Like, like I know what the Flyers were thinking that they were going to go for it this year. It's just, I don't know if they have the manpower. And if their goaltending isn't settled, they were hoping for the Russian goalie Fedotov to be there, and obviously he's not. Yeah. Sometimes things happen that you don't want to happen, and they can turn out to be the best thing for you. But you're right. I don't think the organization has the stomach for it. Okay, so Elliot, as you mentioned, when we hear about John Tortorella, he talks a lot about the team identity, what it means to be a Ranger, what it means means to be a Vancouver Canuck, what it means to be a, a, a Columbus Blue Jacket, all these places that Tortorella has been. Now he's in Philadelphia. So we asked Cam Atkinson, what does it mean to be a Philadelphia Flyer to him? People think the Broad Street bullies, right? Can't and do that anymore. No, I mean let's let's be realistic. You know, at the the era of hockey and how young the the league is getting, and obviously, you know, I look at a team like the Islanders, their fourth line. Mm-hmm. You know, you know when those guys are on the ice because yeah. they can hit, they grind, and they can score goals. You bring a guy like Delorier who's going to be playing with probably McEwen, 
both of those guys are, you know, arguably a couple of the toughest guys in the league. Yep. You're going to know when those guys are on the ice. And uh, Philly fans, I mean, I, sometimes I like fighting more than uh, <laughs> than scoring goals. So uh, there's going to be a lot of fair share of, uh, you know, we're not going to get pushed around next year. And, you know, going into these games, especially on the road and towards the set, and I continue to say it, people are going to know when the Flyers are going to come to the building. And that's what you want. You know, that's what the Blue Jackets, I mean, you knew it was going to be a hard game. And I think getting the identity back that way, just with hard work and in your face, making it hard for your opponents, but also, you know, getting to the dirty areas to score goals, you know, towards his big, his philosophy is protect our Blues, make it hard for people to get to in front of our crease, um, block shots, but also make it hard for the opponent get get in their crease and score dirty goals and get your nose, you know, in there. And um, we'll get back to it. Let's get to the Pittsburgh Penguins, other team in the Keystone State. Evan Rodriguez outs Mike Matheson to Montreal, John Marino to New Jersey, Ty Smith is in, Jeff Petrie's in, and perhaps, not perhaps, and most importantly, both Latang and Malkin are back. Aging curves don't exist in Pittsburgh, Elliot, true or false? Well, maybe not in terms of your lineup decisions, but I think they do on humans. That's what I would say. You know, Smith was sent down to the American Hockey League on Sunday night, but that could be roster dancing. I don't get overly concerned about that until I see what the actual roster is. Look, there come to be times in your franchise's history where you have to you have to make decisions, very painful decisions. It's easy to say we're going to do it, Look at Vancouver. They said, we're not giving JT Miller $8 million a year, and they gave JT Miller $8 million a year. I'm sure in Pittsburgh they said, we're not going to do this for Latang, and we're not going to do this for Malkin. And at the end of the day, you look over the abyss, and you, and you see what's down on the other end, and you say, you know what? We're kind of comfortable with what we've got. I think what this says is Pittsburgh very clearly, they're not comfortable with what is still to come, Right. They don't have the prospect pool. We've talked about this for a while. They, it's not, it's there, not at there at all. And, you know, the next thing, too, that they're going to have to deal with because he's he's turned into a hell of a player is Jake Gensel. Yep, he really has. And so that's the next one they're going to have to deal with. And, and, you know, he's up in a year from now, and Pittsburgh has shown that, you know what, they'll take their time and the cap is supposed to go up. They can handle it. So that's good news for them. I think what this Pittsburgh team is, I'm really curious to see when the cap goes up, and I understand this is not about them this season, it's about two years from now, what are they going to do? You know, right now, they're kind of limited in what they can do. They're capped out. They've traded a lot of picks away. They don't have a ton of great prospects. They kind of have to build from within. But when Pittsburgh was great and they were really winning, they always seem to find talented players who wanted to come to Pittsburgh to play with this traveling circus, right? Is it almost like they have to wait? And it's not going to be easy to say to people like Hextall and Burke. Is it almost like they're going to have to wait until they're going to be able to have a bit more cap room and then see what they can do? Who wants to come play with these guys? Mm. Like, is there any chance I'm reading that wrong? Is there any chance there's other options? I don't think they really have a choice, Elliot. They drafted in the first round this past season mm-hmm. in Montreal, okay? The last time they had a first-round draft pick was 2019. That mm-hmm. was Samuel Poulin. The last time before that 
was 2014 with Kasperi Kapanen. Like for a long time, traded away and then this back. was just yeah, it was traded away and then and then came back. Like, this just been scotch your first rounders, give it away, bring in players, bring in players. I don't know that they have any other option than to do what you're talking about. As much as they would love to be able to spin this around and hey, Owen Pickering develops real fast and he's a hot shot defenseman on the blue line for the Pittsburgh Penguins, you can't bet on that. Like that can't be part of your plan. That within two years, that's that's going to be Owen Pickering's development. We have a first pairing defenseman it takes a while it takes a while to accumulate the assets and develop the assets and graduate them to the nhl that's why i think what you're saying not only makes the most sense but i think it's the only route they have right it's got to be disappointing to them that joseph who they just put on uh who they sent out a note and said he's available you know can't crack their group now I i will say this i know there's been a lot of rumors out there about Pittsburgh and Vancouver and Vancouver looking at the Pittsburgh defense with the extra defenders there. I know there's been a lot of talk about maybe Pedersen and the Canucks. All I can tell you is I heard that that's not going anywhere right now and that the Penguins are saying they don't intend to move them. Now, I could be proven wrong, but that's what I heard. Pedersen makes a lot of sense. Rutherford, Alvin, Pittsburgh... That does make a lot of sense considering uh, who's running the Vancouver Canucks right now. Let's get into the Washington Capitals and wrap up the uh, the Eastern Conference preview. Uh, a couple of interesting moves. Uh, Connor Brown, who I think, safe to say, mm-hmm. we both like. Dylan Strom, who I think we both like as well, come in up front. Uh, and a new goaltending duo of Darcy Kemper, Stanley Cup champion. Congratulations. And someone that a lot of people in the goalie community really like to be one of the better sneaky backup signings that any team pulled off in the off season. And that's Charlie mm-hmm. Lindgren who just ripped it up in the American hockey league, uh, complicating everything, Nick Backstrom and the hip surgery. I don't know. Best case scenario, just into the playoffs, maybe a little in the it's regular season. I want to see one. him beat the odds just because I think he's, he's accomplished a ton in his career. And, and, and I really want to see him, beat the odds to me Washington is one of the most fascinating teams in the league I I like Kemper for them he took a team in Arizona and he lifted it and he took a great team in Colorado and he was what they needed he didn't beat them too often and he was good enough and that's all a team like that needs Washington needs a goalie that is good enough and I think Kemper is more than capable of handling that for them. The thing I think for these guys is, who's the next level? Like Washington to me is a bit like Pittsburgh in, where are the players who are elevating in their roster? Fervari, McMichael, is he ready to make a bigger impact? You know, Anthony Manta, I think he should make a bigger impact. The Protus kid had a really nice time during the preseason. Can this guy make an impact? I, I really believe that Strom could be a huge one for them. He may end up being the guy, but that's what I look at for them. It's kind of like Pittsburgh. Where's the next wave of guys coming from? Throw throw yeah, Hendricks Lapierre into that mix They sent him down, too. right? Throw, they throw sent him, him in. down. But still, like, can you look at that next wave of guys that are pushing up? I, I always want to keep that name hot because I just... I think that's an outstanding prospect for the uh, for the Washington Capitals. Complicating things as well, 
uh, the injury to both Tom Wilson and Carl Hagelin. Those are yes. tough. Uh, Wilson's not back till uh, late November uh, with the torn ACL. That's a that's a tough one there. Um, any final thoughts on the East before we wrap things up, Preach? You know me. I, I don't like to pick against Tampa, but I look at this now and I say, who, who's going to beat them? I thought you said Carolina earlier. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I, I think Carolina is good enough. I think the Rangers are good enough. It's just when it comes down to it, yep. they find ways to win. Uh, they always have. Taking us out, a three-piece band from Vermont, Elliot. Thus Love lived together in a one-bedroom apartment in downtown Brattleboro during the recording process of their debut album, Memorial. From that record, here's Thus Love with Family Man on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Faster Every dime To every passenger 